0: Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. I thought things were going to be easy in November, and man, I am just wrong about that. But you know what can be easy? Dinners. Dinners can be easy. Green Chef now offers 30 weekly recipes to choose from, so wellness is more delicious than ever. And we have an exciting new offer for you. Use code EMILYBAKER599 at greenchef.com slash baker 599 to get $5.99 per meal on your first box and your first box ships free. But I really did think November was gonna be much easier than it is shaking out to be. And part of that is because of everything going on in the Amber Heard insurance cases. Plus we have a whole bunch of sentencing's coming up. Plus we've got new lawsuits that have been popping off. Diana Jenkins is suing someone. She's a real housewife of Beverly Hills or... Was for this season. We'll see what happens next season. It's not recording yet. Amber Heard is homeless or stateless or something. the the appellate brief for Johnny Depp just got filed. It was actually really good. That's over on my YouTube channel. It's November's going to be busy. And by the time this episode comes out, it's going to come out after election day, But I'm recording it before. So if you're like, Emily, do you have anything to say about the elections? No, they haven't happened yet. I'm pre-recording this episode as we do with all the podcast episodes. So with that, we should just get into it. Today, we're going to do a legal deep dive into Amber Heard's claim of jurisdictional infirmity and statelessness. Because when we were going through this on a live stream, I did not have the time to marry your bandwidth, to pull the case law in the code sections and start to parse through these. So that's what we're doing today. Today is a legal deep dive into the case law cited by Amber Heard's legal team. Let's take a look and see if it applies. Let's take a look at the code and let's dive in to some diversity jurisdiction. Vivian Kensington, did diversity jurisdiction exist in this case? No. It did not, which is actually one of the few things the movie got wrong, because in that case, diversity jurisdiction did exist. Let's see if it exists here. We just, we need to start the podcast. Let's just go. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer, and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the Cursey Words. So let's break it down. A huge thank you to today's sponsor, Policy Genius. When I left the district attorney's office, trying to replace the benefits that I had been provided as a government attorney caused me a great deal of stress. Do not let these things stress you out in a time when work situations can be so flexible. Take your life insurance into your own hands, Policy Genius makes it so easy. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential with just a few clicks to find your lowest price. And Policy Genius has licensed agents that are there to help you not working for the life insurance companies. They don't sell your information so that you're private information stays secure. There's no added fees. And with all of that, I'm not surprised that they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at as low as $17 a month for $500,000 in coverage. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to buy it at policygenius.com/lawnard or click the link in the description to get a free life insurance quote and see how much you can save today. That's policygenius.com/lawnard. Thanks for supporting the Emily Show Policy Genius. Let's get back to today's episode. All of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is coming up in the context of the insurance lawsuits with regard to Amber Heard. Her appellate brief as of recording has not been filed yet. When it's filed, we'll cover it. And if you're interested, audio audience, I can also take the Johnny Depp appellate brief stream I did and clip it down and put it up as a bonus episode uh, for y'all to listen to. So, That's what's going on over there. The insurance suits, just by way of reminder, there are two lawsuits. We'll talk about consolidation in a moment. But the first one was Travelers Insurance, who's been like Amber Heard's OG ride or die up in here with all of this, and New York Marine. Both had policies with Amber Heard. During the beginning of well, pre-litigation for the defamation trial. Travelers was like, we're just going to do whatever. And New York Marines like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Our attorneys were hired first. Our attorneys are going to be lead counsel. Our attorneys are going to get standard rates for insurance. And Travelers was like, nah, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to pay them their rate. It's going to be cool. And New York Marine is alleging that Travelers attorneys ended up being a lane at all elbowed out New York Marine's attorneys to the point where they left the case with regard to the the pending trial at that time for the defamation suit. So, Travelers is suing New York Marine for payment and declaratory relief. Judge declare that they owe us shit. Tell us what tell us what they need to do. New York Marine is then countersuing travelers saying, we don't have to do any of that. That's ridiculous. We're not doing it. So the two insurance companies are fighting over who's paying. Travelers has been paying for Amber Heard's case in Virginia. New York Marine paid up until the fact that the point that they, well, were either yeeted or yoded out of the case. That's a joke. They they quit and left. (laughs) They're saying they have no further duty to defend And then, just to put a pin in all of it, New York Marine sued Amber Heard as the policyholder in California after the verdict came down in Virginia, saying, we don't have to pay you, we don't have to help pay the verdict, we don't have to pay for your defense, and they are seeking declaratory relief in California against Amber Heard over their policy specifically. Now, we went through all of the motions, most of them over on the YouTube channel, a few of them here on the podcast too, talking about the motions to consolidate this case, putting it together under one judge. Because why? Well, because lawyers. Because lawyers is why. The lawyers that are going to be deposed were like, I'll sit for one deposition, but I'm not sitting for a bunch of depositions. And so the lawyers for travelers were like, this will be easier if we just do all the discovery together. Travelers argued, look, And Travelers had a really good argument. Look, the only thing we can sue New York Marine for is the rights that New York Marine owes to Amber Heard. The two insurance companies vis-a-vis one another, the only rights Travelers has are the rights that the insured Amber Heard has. So they're like, look, we're just deciding all the same thing. What rights does Amber Heard have with regard to the policy held by, that she holds with New York Marine And under that policy, does New York Marine owe anything to travelers because of the rights held by Amber Heard? It makes sense that they would argue that. It makes sense they'd want it consolidated. So the court was like, kind of, we'll consolidate it for pretrial purposes, discovery. Let's deal with these depositions because truly they're all going to be dealing with the same people and that makes sense. Not necessarily through trial, yet the court wants to hear what Amber Heard has to say about whether or not this should be consolidated for all purposes because Amber Heard has not answered these lawsuits in a legal sense yet. Amber Heard's, we've heard snippets of what Amber Heard's position is through other filings, but these filings today that we're going over are the first time we've heard from Heard's lawyers. Look, last week with Holmes's Holmes and this week with Heard hearing, th- look, look, just begging me to say things wrong. So the first time we've heard from Heard's attorneys directly are in these filings. And one of them was to ask for more time to answer the lawsuit with regard to New York Marine. So we have like a, a thruple of lawsuits here, a thruple of parties. We have New York Marine suing Amber Heard. We have New York Marine counter suing travelers and Travers suing New York Marines. So the court wants to hear from Amber because that's who we haven't heard from yet. So in the context of that, in that brief road so far, it catches us up to what's going on in court, which was Amber Heard's legal team filing an extension for more time in the California case with New York Marine and a very much longer joint scheduling report filed in the other case now that the cases have been consolidated. So the Joint Scheduling Report is trying to schedule both cases because those cases have now been combined together. And that's where Amber Heard first says, I don't live anywhere. Good luck. Good luck with suing me. I don't live anywhere. So today we're really diving into diversity jurisdiction. We are going to look at those orders because they give us context. The first one we're looking at, because I still think it's funny. And um, yeah, I can't find, well... I shouldn't say that. We're going to look together. The last time I looked, I didn't see jurisdictional infirmity in my Black's Law Dictionary. But we might have to just take a sneaky peek again to see if somehow that's become lawful law somewhere. So let's go to that motion first, that motion for an extension of time, and look at our first snippets from Amber Heard's attorneys. So as we are pulling up the first filings we've seen from Amber Heard's attorneys, this is a stipulation and extension of time for defendant Amber Heard to file a response to the first amended complaint. This is with regard to New York Marine. But this was filed 1031 in the New York Marine lawsuit. The interesting thing for me is that it was on October 18th that the court officially consolidated the two cases for pretrial purposes. So it's odd to me that this is being filed in the California case, even though it's been consolidated. The consolidated case number is on here, so I don't know if they are just filing them under the case numbers they particularly go to, knowing that they're filed, but this was filed under the uh, New York Marine Amber Heard case number, again, even though the cases at this point have been consolidated, pre-trial purposes, and this was filed, you know, 10 plus days after that that order was made on October 18th. We are still pending a November 3rd, and we'll see what happens because that would have just happened, a November 3rd uh, joint scheduling conference. That report was due on October 31st. If there's a minute order for that, we'll pull it up at the end of this episode as we talk about what's going to happen next. So this motion is just asking for more time to answer. And that answer, by the way, doesn't have to be a denial claims, assert affirmative defenses. That answer can be the well, the pretrial litigation or the pre-answer litigation can come first. Your demurs, motions to strike, um, motions to dismiss based on, and in this case, it looks like it's going to be lack of jurisdiction. But we'll we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get there. Let's look at this. A quirky little language that we're using in this motion, asking for more time. It says, Ms. Hurd has advised plaintiff New York Marine and General Insurance Company of a jurisdictional infirmity and requested that New York Marine voluntarily dismiss the action and has asked New York Marine for an extension of time to respond to the first amended complaint. Now, I don't remember jurisdictional infirmity being grounds for literally anything. But, you know, I'm, I, we're here to learn things. So I'm going to try to find it real quick. Do you think it's just under jurisdiction? I would think so. Probably not under infirmity. Um, we got a lot of jurisdictional stuff. The great thing about Black's Law Dictionary is it tells you all the things. And then if it's not there where you think it's going to be, it will tell you where it is gotta love it it's 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 your ride or die for law school there's probably an app now i like the books i'm old what am i gonna say um let's see Mm, jurisdiction ancillary jurisdiction um appellate jurisdiction arising in jurisdiction common law jurisdiction concurrent jurisdiction consent jurisdiction uh, contentious jurisdiction. Ooh, angry jurisdiction. It's a feisty jurisdiction. Continuing jurisdiction, coordinate jurisdiction, criminal jurisdiction. Don't don't tell don't tell uh Daryl Brooks about criminal jurisdiction, diversity jurisdiction. We'll get there, but um that's what we're talking about today. A federal court's exercise exercise. Why did we say that so weird? Exercise of authority over a case involving parties from different states and an amount in controversy greater than the statutory minimum. Right now, at seventy five thousand, still at seventy five thousand. We're gonna we're gonna pull the code on that though today. Equity jurisdiction, exclusive jurisdiction, extraterritorial jurisdiction, federal jurisdiction, federal question jurisdiction, foreign jurisdiction, general jurisdiction, in personam jurisdiction, in rem jurisdiction, international jurisdiction judicial jurisdiction, jurisdiction in personum, jurisdiction in rem, jurisdiction of the person, jurisdiction of the subject matter, also called subject matter jurisdiction, jurisdiction over person, jurisdiction quasi in rem, legislative jurisdiction, limited jurisdiction, original jurisdiction, overlapping, pendant, pendant party jurisdiction, damn it, now it's my 1L, we're just living law school trauma over in real time plenary jurisdiction probate jurisdiction quasi in rem jurisdiction special jurisdiction per specific subject matter again back to summary jurisdiction supplemental territorial transient voluntary no so far we haven't got we've gotten to jurisdictional limits and jurisdictional gerrymandering jurisdictional plea and statement i don't see jurisdictional infirmity anywhere up here in my in my in my black's law dictionary it would we've now moved on to jurisprudence somebody tell me what the fuck a jurisdictional infirmity is please i need to know it's a quirk now now we're just going to Heretofore, Law Nerds, we're going to refer to anything jurisdictional that we just don't like as a as an infirmity. It's just it's just an infirmity. We don't know. We don't know. Let's see what they think the jurisdictional infirmity is, shall we? And to do that, we're going to go to the joint scheduling order that's filed in the other case because the cases are now consolidated and discusses. Discusses this also filed, by the way, on October 31st. It was a very busy Halloween for all. All right, let's look at this joint scheduling report. This was filed in the Travelers New York Marine, New York Marine Travelers Action. The Travelers Action was filed first. So when they consolidate the two, they pull the New York Marine herd action into the Travelers Action. So this is filed in the Travelers Action because this is the judge that said we're having a scheduling conference. So here's the joint scheduling order. And this is the judge that said, give me a joint scheduling order by October 31st, um, because we're having a hearing November 3rd. So let's see what this joint scheduling order has to say as to herd's position. Pursuant to the court's October 21st, 2022 order. Interesting, because when I look through the docket, the minute order... Let's just pull the minute order. Let's just pull the minute order into here and see if y'all read it the same way I do. The minute order says the court's tentative ruling on plaintiff's motion was issued on October 18th. Court and counsel confer based on the tentative rulings and the reasons stated on the record, plaintiff's motion is granted. So that's fair. The motion was technically granted on October 20th, 2022 at the hearing. Um, Either way, not October 21st, but, you know, potato, potato. Uh, this is the motion to consolidate yada yada law stuff. Sub A, Ms. Hurd's position. Miss Hurd respectfully submits that it is premature to enter a scheduling order for two reasons. By scheduling order, they mean, when do we need to have discovery done by? When do we need to have like expert designations and depositions? When is this going to trial? All of the things that need to be scheduled out in this civil case into 2023 and possibly 2024 at this point in the year, When are those going to be scheduled? What are the deadlines so everybody's on the same page? Ms. Hurd is saying, yeah, yeah, let's not do that yet because first, there is no diversity of citizenship. We're gonna talk about what's required for diversity jurisdiction to exist in a matter in just a moment. Ms. Hurd was not a resident of the United States when New York Marine filed its lawsuit. I have questions. Let's go to New York Marine's lawsuit real quick and take a look at when they filed it, because this is going to matter as we get more um, deeply into this conversation. The New York Marine lawsuit, based on the filing stamp that y'all can see, unless you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, at which point, don't forget to give a, you know, a rating to The Emily Show, leave a, leave a, Leave a positive review. I would appreciate it. But it says 7-8-2022 up at the top there. (laughs) For those of you on audio only. July 8th. So this is arguing that Amber Heard was not a resident of the United States on July 8th. The internet has said, and look, we have not seen anything else in filings. What we have seen is information that has come largely from Zillow. Dates on Zillow can be wrong, but it's a jumping off point. For negotiations, but Zillow indicates that she sold her house in California around July 18th. So she still owned a property. I would just hearken a guess that Herd has not established permanent residence outside of the United States between the end of the Depp Herd case at the beginning of June and the beginning of July. It is my in on information and belief, it takes longer than 30 calendar days to establish permanent residency in a foreign country. That just just based on my life experiences, how they're going to prove that she wasn't in fact a resident of the United States at the beginning of July is very, very interesting to me. So it says, Ms. Hurd was not a resident of the U.S. when they filed the lawsuit. Therefore, the court lacks jurisdiction. Well, isn't that great? And then they cite a case, the Louisiana Municipal Poli- the Police Emps Retirement System. I think that's the Police Employees Retirement System versus Wynn. That's a very interesting case that we are going to go through next and the part from the case they are quoting says because the defendant is a US citizen but has no domicile in any state she is stateless for the purposes of 28 USC 1332a3 such stateless status destroys complete diversity under 1332a3 and then it talks about the underlying case that that case is citing what i will note just preview a preview if you will is that that case is dealing with someone who is a permanent resident of a foreign country and had been for years prior to filing the lawsuit. But that's not all that lawsuit gives us. It also says that litigation should not go forward at this time. The continued prosecution of these actions is prejudicial to Ms. Hurd's defense in the debt v. Hurd lawsuit, which is currently pending appeal. How? I would imagine it's different sets of lawyers for appeal versus this insurance litigation defense. But maybe not. Maybe it's the same group of lawyers. Hold on. Emily, you have the group of lawyers. They filed the thing. Go look at who filed it. Go look at who filed it. Okay, let's just do that together. We'll go pull, we're going to go pull back up the scheduling, not the scheduling order, the, uh, the other order we just had up. The Pashik law firm is a different law firm than what's been reported to be her appellate law firm. So there's that. I wanna know how this prejudices the case currently pending appeal. It says that Ms. Hurd understands that Travelers does not oppose the request for a stay of the consolidated action. Well, of course they don't. They've been the ride or die, they don't care at all. And that New York Marine does not oppose a stay as to three of its four causes of action. However, Ms. Hurd understands that New York Marine opposes a stay as to its first cause of action and as to the claims at issue in the Traveler's lawsuit. Therefore, she has advised the other parties that Ms. Heard will file a motion to stay or dismiss the actions pursuant to uh, Montrose Chemical Court versus Superior Court and its progeny. In addition, Ms. Heard intends to move for judgment on the pleadings as to each of New York Green's causes of actions against her. So that's that pre-answer litigation that I was talking about. She says, I'm gonna file these motions to try to get this stuff yeeted out of court based on these legal findings before we even get started. It goes on to say New York Marines first, second, and fourth causes of action, which address the duty to indemnify a judgment in the depth lawsuit, are not right unless and until there's a final judgment in the depth suit. Given the appeal, there's no such final judgment. So we're appealing. So you can't really say you have to pay a judgment or not. There's no final judgment. I think the legal question as to whether they have to pay a final judgment can be determined on the contract. They're arguing it's not ripe, like this isn't even in controversy yet. She technically doesn't have to pay anything yet. I see it a bit differently because Amber Heard did not file a suspension bond in the Virginia case. Johnny Depp could start trying to pursue payment of the 10 million plus dollar judgment that he received. There's no information that he's done that, but he can do that. The court has entered judgment in his favor, and she has not filed the necessary bonds to suspend that. So I think even though there's an appeal, the appeal does not automate a suspension of Johnny Depp being able to collect the judgment. I think he could start doing that now. I think this issue is ripe. We will see what the court thinks. They then go on to say that New York Marines' third cause of action addresses the duty to defend Ms. Heard in the Depp lawsuit. They say it fails as a matter of law because the statute relied on California Insurance Code 533, which excoriates any claim Amber Heard has that her insurer has to pay for any of this. California Insurance Code 533 specifically says um, that they don't have to do that, which I've covered when these lawsuits were filed here on the podcast and over on YouTube. They say it does not excuse an insurer of its duty to defend. So whether that will be an interesting, again, technicality, sort of, on that you had a duty to defend, but then she could have had to reimburse you because she was found to have committed an intentional tort, and that's after the fact. So you might still have a duty to defend while the case is going on, and then after the fact, if she loses, you might have to go try to recoup those costs and get in line behind a $10 million judgment. So as a matter of law, that's an interesting question, but um, they're saying it just fails as a matter of law. We'll see. Despite the above, New York Marine will not agree to postpone depositions of Ms. Hurd's former defense counsel, Elaine. In the depth lawsuit notice for mid-November in the Travelers' lawsuit. Ms. Hurd believes that discovery should not proceed pending this court's determination on the jurisdictional issue as to whether the consolidated actions go forward given the appropriateness of dismiss or stay under the Montrose case. If necessary, Hurd may move for a protective order regarding these depositions. So that's Hurd's position. We're going to take a look at that first case, which Hurd says, excuses her from jurisdiction because she's stateless, but first we're gonna look at the code section that's being relied on to establish jurisdiction here. But even first before that, we're going to thank our next sponsor. I can't believe it's already like fall winter. It's here, it's here. And getting back out into the world again this fall, I have been traveling so much. And that includes me wearing makeup a lot more again than I had been 2020, 2021, when I was just staying in my house most of the time. It's been nice to try some new things and I've really been enjoying Thrive Cosmetics. Not only do I enjoy the makeup, but I love that when you are purchasing, that purchasing power is also going to giving back because not only are the cosmetics 100% vegan and cruelty-free, But Thrive strives to be bigger than beauty. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help communities thrive, and they work with over 300 giving partners. So if you're ready to try Thrive Cosmetics, let me tell you what I'm wearing literally at the moment, the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara, which has over 20,000 five-star reviews because it's great. And it's a tubing mascara, so it makes it really easy to wash off without damaging your eyelashes. It mimics the look of lash extensions without having to glue anything on. And it lasts all day without clumping or flaking, which I hate when it ends up all down on my cheeks. I can't even deal with it. I'm also wearing the Brilliant Eye Brightener, which comes in a stick. Look, my makeup needs to look like crayons for me to make it work. And... (laughs) It just goes on, but it goes cream to powder to lighten and brighten your eyes. Celebrate the season of giving and try Thrive Cosmetics today! Right now, you can get fifteen percent off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com/lawner. That's Thrive Cosmetics causemetics. dot com slash lawnard and get that fifteen percent off your first order. If you try this mascara, you have to let me know how you like it. It's so good. All right, let's get back to today's show. So I've said the first thing we're looking at like six times, but really the first thing we're looking at <laughs> is the Travelers claim versus New York Marine filed in the uh, Central District of California on July 20th, 2021. So a little less than exactly a year before the other action was filed in the Central District of California in 2022. So with that, we are going to take a look at how they are claiming jurisdiction, then look at diversity jurisdiction. In their jurisdictional section, what they say in this lawsuit is this court has jurisdiction under 28 USC 1332A1. So let's go look at 28 USC 1332A1. 1332 is diversity of citizenship, amount in controversy, and cost. So we've gone directly to the US code for this. So I'm just going to be reading from the US code to talk about diversity. Jurisdiction, which I can't say without thinking about legally blonde. Did diversity jurisdiction exist in this case? I can't. I can't. In my brain, that's all I hear. All right. 1332A, the district courts, these are federal courts, not state courts. The district courts shall have original jurisdiction of all civil actions, meaning they have jurisdiction over a case that doesn't get sent to them from the state. They can hear the case on their own originally original jurisdiction, has original jurisdiction of all civil actions where the matter in controversy exceeds the sum of $75,000, exclusive of interest and cost, and is between, and these are the options, one, citizens of different states. So if someone in uh, Washington state sues someone that lives in Minnesota, you've got diversity of states. If you've got somebody in Washington suing someone that also lives in Washington, you might not have diversity of states. If you've got someone in California suing uh, people elsewhere and then suing a bunch of John Does and they find one of those John Does is also in California, then you don't have diversity of citizenship. It needs to be citizens of different states. If y'all are in California, go to state court and sue in California. If y'all are in Nevada, go to Nevada state court. 1332A2, citizens of a state and citizens or subjects of a foreign state. There's an exception, except that the district courts shall not have original jurisdiction under this subsection of an action between citizens of a state and citizens or subjects of a foreign state who are lawfully admitted for permanent residence in the United States and are domiciled in the same state. That exception is a long one, but it essentially is saying that if you have someone who is a foreign national permanent residence in the U.S. and they live in the same state as the person suing, then you just need to sue in that state court. It doesn't matter that they are a permanent resident and not a U.S. citizen. If they're all living in the same state, you go to state court. My friend, do not. This is not diversity jurisdiction. Thirteen thirty-two a three citizens of a different state, and in which citizens or subjects of a foreign state are additional parties. And sub four, a foreign state defined in section sixteen oh three of this title as a plaintiff. That means a foreign, a foreign state is suing a U.S. citizen. And uh, they're the plaintiff as citizens of a state or of different states. So that's not, four is not the situation we're in at all. One is the situation they thought they were in. Look, citizens of a different state. Now we're somewhere maybe in the two or three range, but it depends on when they're going to ask the jurisdictional question. Because if Amber Heard was still a resident in whatever state, then if she was still a resident in California and these companies are domiciled outside of California, let's see how they plead it here, how they assert their jurisdiction, because we've got to look at the parties. What they're saying is that this is a civil action between citizens of different states. Okay, well, where is everybody based on their allegations? Defendant New York Marine, general insurance company failed to meet its obligation to provide its and Travelers Mutual insured, so this is under the Travelers and New York Marine, um, New York Marine test. Let's see where does it say you are. Plane of Travelers is now and at all relevant times was a corporation existing under the laws of the state of Connecticut. Uh, travelers believes that New York Marine is operating out of the state of New York with its principal place of business town in New Jersey. So you've got a Connecticut company, a New York company well, a company that's in New Jersey that operates under the laws of the state of New York and a California resident, Amber Heard. I, just for completeness of thought, am going to go look at how they establish jurisdiction in the second lawsuit Heard, uh, where herd's being sued by Travelers. So let's go, look, or sorry, by New York Marine. Travelers is like, girl, we would never. Okay, <laughs> it's a lot of lawsuits. This is the first amended complaint. It was filed just a few days after the original complaint was filed on July 8th. This is from July 11th. Let's go see how they pled jurisdiction. So as we're talking about the perceived jurisdictional infirmity, we can actually talk about the case where she's being sued. Jurisdiction and venue. The United States District Court has original jurisdiction over this case under 28 U.S.C. 1332. It doesn't specify a subsection because the amount in controversy exceeds the sum and it involves citizens of different states. New York Marine, uh, let's see where they list the parties. New York Marine is a corporation organized under the laws of New York, principal place of business in New York City within the state of New York. Heard is and at all times here and mentioned was an individual who is a citizen and resident of California. So they are still pinning her jurisdiction in California. She's saying, no, I'm not. And while she was in Virginia during the trial, she still, by all reports, owned a home in California and was not a Virginia resident during a trial. Just because you're there for a long time doesn't mean that's where you are domiciled. So there is going to be a fight over jurisdiction with this. And even if there isn't, um, this is a New York company. They're not going to just be like, oh, well, we're going to just drop all. We'll just drop all of this then. Let's go look at the case that Amber Heard's team cites in their scheduling order, not in any motions that have been filed yet, to see what this stateless argument is all about anyway. What's so interesting about this case is it's a (laughs) It's a shareholder derivative action. It's a shareholder derivative action involving the win Las Vegas and the win um, abroad. I, by the way, Emily, sidebar. Yeah. Do we need a sidebar noise? Maybe. Maybe. The win is just one of my happy places. The win is so fun freaking delightful. You walk into the Wynn Las Vegas and you are transported to somewhere whimsical. You want to go to the buffet and get brunch and it is just delightfully uh apportioned with like live trees and just just beautifully appointed. It is one of my favorite places in Vegas. I freaking love the Wynn. So I was laughing my ass off that this is a derivative shareholder lawsuit that involves the Wynn cuz Half of the time I was trying to read this case, I was like, I just want to go sit (laughs) down Parasol and just have a drink with like the wall of water and then walk around the shops at the wind. Like, that's really where my brain went. And I just didn't want to keep reading this case because I'm not still in law school. I want to go to the wind. (laughs) This case makes me want a vacation badly. I want a vacation badly. Anyway, this is a shareholder derivative lawsuit out of the Ninth Circuit by Judge Scanlon. And let's just, let's just, let's just away. This summary of the decision, and we'll get into the decision a little bit further, says, that addressing jurisdictional issues, the panel held that diversity jurisdiction under 28 U.S.C. 1332A2 was improper because there were American citizens on both sides of the case. It is noted in the filings from Amber Heard that she is not a resident of the U.S., but she is still a citizen of the U.S. I imagine that that was specified because of the language in this case. This case said, look, you can't use 1332 a2 when both individuals are US citizens so that takes out for herd's team's argument they're like we're, we're not in A1 because she's not a resident of a separate state she's not a resident of any state it takes out 1332A2 because well she's still an American citizen it takes out 1332A4 because that doesn't apply here she's not the plaintiff. So it leaves 1332A3, and we're gonna see what the court has to say about that subsection here. The panel also held that the diversity jurisdiction under 28 U.S.C. 1332A3 was foiled by one of the defendants who was a U.S. citizen, but who was a permanent resident of Macau and was not domiciled in a state. The panel concluded that the defendant was a dispensable party, under Federal Civil Procedure 19, and they yeeted the person from the lawsuit. They're like, eh, we don't need you. That's not what Amber Amber Heard's team wants, the lack of diversity jurisdiction to force New York Marine to not be able to sue her. In this case, they just yeeted the one defendant out of this very big derivative lawsuit. And for our purposes, we're just gonna look at the language that the court uses around diversity jurisdiction and determining whether or not someone is stateless this feels like a bar exam question. Like if the bar examiners have any sense of humor ever, this will be a bar exam question. I guarantee you that most law students are not paying attention to the stateless quirks of, of freaking diversity jurisdiction. A question like whether a U.S. resident now living abroad can be sued by their insurance company under a policy that they purchased when they were a resident of a state, but when they were sued no longer lives in the state, that is a fact of controversy here, would literally have made my head explode. It would have been a very mean bar exam question, but it would be a funny as hell bar exam question. Let's talk about statelessness on the bar exam. Oof. 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 Also, there's a lot of tea about what was going on with the Wynn, you know, board and shareholders and and monies that were spent and whether they were some thought they might have been bribes and the sec looking into things like there's a whole lot of a whole lot of other stuff going on in this lawsuit but i'm just trying to focus on jurisdiction because what we don't need to do is spiral out of control on this lawsuit and talk about it forever because i don't even think you're interested (laughs) you're like no we want to talk about diversity jurisdiction all right let's get into the court's reasoning here with regard to whether or not diversity jurisdiction exists existed and their discussion of these two subsections that we're now talking about under the United States Code 1332A2 and 1332A3. Of course, we might be in a circumstance where the court says, no, you were still domiciled in California when this lawsuit was filed. Therefore, this is just a basic lawsuit between a New York company and a California resident, and that's it. You were a resident of California at the time. You had a house there. You were domiciled there. That's it. But they're going to litigate the shit out of this. We already know. We already know. It's come up in two filings. There's going to be more litigation on this. So the court says 1332A2 is improper because the plaintiffs are alleged to be American citizens. The defendants are alleged to be a mix of American citizens and foreign citizens. Because there are American citizens on both sides of the case, jurisdiction cannot be grounded in 1332A2, which they're saying is meant for jurisdiction when a United States citizen sues aliens only, is what they say. They mean foreign nationals, when you're suing someone who is not a U.S. resident. And that could not be satisfied if any of the opposite side. So any of the defendants are U.S. citizens, then there's no diversity under that subsection. The court goes on to say that instead of 1332A2, the shareholders should have invoked 1332A3, which provides jurisdiction over suits between citizens of different states and in which citizens or subjects of a foreign state are additional parties. I don't know if that will count here, because Amber Heard is not an additional party. Amber Heard is the party, the only party that's the defendant here. They say this defect could have been fixed without difficulty if diversity jurisdiction would have been proper under 1332A3, and now they're looking at their own case, talking about whether it does. One of the defendants, Linda Chen, a former director of Win Resorts, is neither a citizen of a state nor a citizen of a foreign state. Specifically, In response to a sua sponte order by this court, the defendants have filed a declaration by Chen in which she swears that she is a United States citizen, but, quote, does not reside in the United States and has not been a permanent resident of any state in the United States since approximately 2004. Indeed, Chen swears that by the time the plaintiffs first filed their complaint in August 2012, she had already become, quote, a permanent resident of Macaw a status she claims and still retains. Permanent resident. Permanent resident of Macaw. So I don't think we're going to see permanent residents from Amber Heard. I don't know if we can. It goes on to say that Chen's declaration established that she is not domiciled in a state. And then it cites uh, a Mississippi band of Cochaw Indians versus Holyfield Quote, for adults, domicile is established by physical presence in a place in connection with a certain state of mind, a state of mind, like a New York state of mind. Amber Heard has, this is the argument, folks. I see it. There's a heavy amount of sarcasm here. Amber Heard's going to be like, I'm in a New York state of mind. So you can't sue me in federal court in California because you're a New York." company, and I'm in a New York state of mind, so there's no diversity jurisdiction, which is really the argument. If I don't live in any state, I could live in any state, and that any state could include your state. And if I live in your state, then we're not diverse parties, and therefore diversity jurisdiction can't exist. So I'm in a New York state of mind. That's the. the, I swear, if we see that in a filing, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. Lose my mind lose my mind all right back to the case it says for adults domiciles established by physical presence in a place in connection with a certain state of mind concerning one's intent to remain there that means i was not a resident of the state of california for numerous years prior to moving to tennessee the state of california and its franchise tax board is not going to agree with me Uh, It goes on to say she therefore cannot be a citizen of a state for purposes of diversity jurisdiction. And then it quotes another case, Newman-Green saying, quote, in order to be a citizen of a state within the meaning of the diversity statute, a natural person must be both a citizen of the United States and domiciled within a state. Because Chen is a, quote, United States citizen, but has no domicile in any state, she is, quote, unquote, stateless, for purposes of 1332A3, such stateless status destroys complete diversity under 1332A3. I don't think this will be well taken by the court in a circumstance where Amber Heard, um, by a lot of objective measures, might have been still domiciled within California when the suit was filed at the beginning of July. She may be stateless now, a U.S. citizen living abroad, but I don't and haven't seen anything indicating that she's a permanent resident of any particular country abroad. There's nothing um, that, I I don't know any, and maybe there are, and I am not worldly enough to know, but in 30, 30, 90 days, a really, to, to well, it would have to be from the beginning of June to the beginning of July, she would have to have gathered permanent status somewhere to argue, I was a permanent citizen um, in a, in a foreign country by the time this was filed in early July. And I don't think that's going to happen. So I think New York Marine is going to argue like hell that she was still a California resident at the beginning of July, even if she isn't now. But the case says that when you are stateless under this code section, because you're a U.S. citizen, but you are not domiciled within the U.S., then it will destroy complete diversity in a federal lawsuit. So they're saying that in the underlying lawsuits that the party Chen's continued presence in the suit is ne- uh, necessarily foils the plaintiff's attempt to comply with 1332A3. And then they decided to yeet. <laughs> they say, fortunately, the jurisdictional defect described can be remedied without the need for a remand to the lower court. First, even though Chen is a non-diverse party, Rule 21 of the federal rules gives us discretion to dismiss her from the suit in order to perfect diversity jurisdiction, providing that she is not an indispensable party under Rule 19. Uh, Footnote, Amber Heard is an indispensable party. She's the only party. She's not ancillary to the case. She's the one being sued. So then they yeet this individual out of the lawsuit, which can't happen here, But the lawsuit was filed under the broad 1332 statute. So we're going to have to see litigation where Amber Heard's like, I'm stateless and New York Marine is like, yeah, prove it. Um, They're going to have to get a declaration. I imagine they will probably um, maybe under file and under seal and maybe not want to prove her passport status. Has she been granted a visa somewhere? When was that visa granted? When did she travel outside the US? Those things should be pretty easy to honestly and accurately document. However, I imagine New York Marine will be like, yeah, but we saw evidence in the case in the UK where she was trying to manipulate documents with regard to bringing animals into, uh, into Australia. So do we trust documents provided? I think New York Marine is going to be wary of just a declaration that's like, because Amber Heard says so, I think they're going to require um, proof and hopefully the courts will as well require proof of the fact that she is actually residing outside of the U.S. in such a way that it contradicts her being domiciled still in California if she has no intent to return and selling the house maybe shows no intent to return, but that was sold after. Now, when the process for the house to be sold was initiated will be an interesting question too. Was that listed on the market in, you know, April? Was it listed on the market well before that? How long was it in escrow for? If it sold at the end of July, was it in escrow before that and she wasn't living in it? So therefore she wasn't domiciled, but is she still paying taxes? Where she registered to vote? What's her driver's license say? All of these things are going to come up and it will be interesting to see it play out. And before we wrap up for today with some questions from our incredible members who are often on the the behind-the-scenes recording of these episodes, I'm gonna update what happened in court um, because there are a few new documents from November 1st. And if something happens between now and then, I will update it in the show notes. So let's take a look at the minutes from these in-chambers court orders and go from there. All right. So looking at the docket, these are updated on both dockets because these cases are now officially consolidated. The first one says minutes in chambers court order by Judge George Wu. The court has received a stipulation and request for extension of time for defendant Heard to uh, respond to the first amended complaint in New York Marine and General Insurance Company v. Heard. The court grants said request and defendant Heard is given until November 21st to file her response. Okay, so response in that one is coming November 21st because November is going to be busy. Previous case number case number has been consolidated for pretrial purposes with Travelers Commercial Insurance Company versus New York Marine and General Insurance Company, and a scheduling conference has been set for the consolidated matter on November 3rd. In light of the courts granting defendant Hurd's request for additional time to file a response to the amended complaint, the November 3rd scheduling conference is continued until November 21st at 8.30. If defendant heard files a motion to dismiss, the parties may stipulate to continue the November 27th scheduling conference to the date when the motion to dismiss will be heard. So that is the first entry. The second entry looks like it is just about the same, but there's a little bit more. Um, Let's see. Nope. Minute entry 82 and 83 are just to accommodate for the different case numbers. So that gives us everything um, from these cases. And there, it's odd, there's that quirk of, that's gotta be a typo. I pulled up the minute order now for the uh, audio only audience because it says, um, in light of the courts granting defendant Heard's request for additional time to file a response to the amended complaint, the November 3rd scheduling conferences continue to November 21st at 8.30 a.m. If defendant Heard files a motion to dismiss, the parties may stipulate to continue the November 27th scheduling conference. I don't think there's two. I think that's meant to be November 21st. But if Amber Heard files not an answer before November 21st, but files uh, pre-answer litigation like a motion to dismiss, then these conferences will all get pushed back. What do I think is going to happen? I think there's going to be motions to dismiss filed, and I think this is absolutely going to get pushed back. We're going to get a whole bunch of briefing on diversity jurisdiction, and I'm going to be very interested to see how they attempt to prove that Amber Heard is, in fact, stateless, and to see what New York Marine asks for to prove that they believe that she was a resident of the state of California in July when they filed this litigation. This is something that lawyers have to consider when they're filing it. Look, this verdict came down at the beginning of June. Hey, hey, New York Marine. And if I said travelers in any of that last sentence, I meant New York Marine. Hey, New York Marine, I bet you wish you had sued in June. But even in June, could she have argued this? Maybe she would have tried. Like, no, I domiciled in Virginia when I knew this case was going to happen. Could she have tried it? Yes. Could she have made them try to file it in Virginia and apply California law? Maybe. Would that have been helpful to anyone? No. Because California law is going to apply because there's got to be a choice of law provision in the insurance policy that she had. And it's going to be California law because when she bought the policy, she was in California. So I'll be very interested to see the evidence that New York Marine presents as to why they think she was in California. But these are really kind of technical areas of law. That's a very interesting way to go about it. Do I think this will ultimately be successful on what we've seen so far? No. Am I interested to see it? Yes. From that scheduling order, it seems that New York Marine is just about as surprised as anybody else that Amber Heard's like, I'm stateless. Uh, Okay. So maybe Amber Heard never intends to return to the United States. Okay. Well, we're going to have to see evidence of that, but I don't think she's going to be a permanent resident of a foreign country Um, between the beginning of June and the beginning of July. I just don't think timing-wise that's possible in any way. Those are things that take six months more depending on where you are. So there's a lot more facts needed for this. The case law factually is different. It's somebody who was a foreign resident, a permanent resident of a foreign country for years prior to the lawsuit being filed. And that's a different circumstance than Amber Heard being like, I'm not there anymore. Bye. I can't wait to see what you think of this. Let's get to a few of the questions from the LawNerds. If you are interested in participating in the members only live streams, you are welcome to join us at LawNerdsUnite.com. It can get you into the memberships at the different membership levels. They are starting at just like $3 a month. So you can come and join us. And I'm going to pick a few questions, and we're going to go from there. A great question from Miss Lee. Isn't Amber Heard's company still in California? It's my understanding that her company that bought this insurance policy with New York Marine is still in California, but they did not sue the company. They sued Amber Heard. Interesting choice as to why they didn't also sue the company. Maybe they should have. Uh, Donna C asked, "Can Amber Heard be extradited for a civil suit of this matter?" No, 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 she cannot. They will need. They will need to a find a way to serve her, which it seems like they already have because she has a date certain to answer this lawsuit. And really, service isn't the issue now. Now it's um, whether there's jurisdiction, but a U.S company or a U.S. individual can sue someone else in U.S. courts. And we saw those code provisions earlier on here. Sheila asked, what if she buys a house in New York? Will it matter or only when the lawsuit was filed? So only when the lawsuit was filed, really, but they're going to go through and say when the lawsuit was filed, she wasn't a resident. Kim Ripley asked, can they amend the lawsuit to add her companies? And there were a lot of questions about her companies. They can. There's probably a reason they haven't because they're already on their first amended complaint, but they could do that if that was uh, appropriate for them. I think they probably already would have, though, but you never know. A lot of you asked about her US residency. And when we talked about this case early on, the diversity be- is a problem because of the not domiciled in a state, but still a US citizen. If she completely wasn't a US citizen, then that code section that we talked about, uh, 1332A2, would apply to her because she's not a U.S. citizen. So part of the key for this to work for Amber Heard is to not be domiciled in any state, to still be a U.S. citizen, but to live or be a permanent resident abroad. And I just don't know if she will have established permanent residency abroad and if the courts will distinguish between traveling abroad and permanent residency. Because at some point, when you look at the case law, this person's a permanent resident in a foreign country. Okay, they have a residence. With Amber Heard, I wonder if the courts will say, you can't have a residence nowhere. Where, where's your mail coming? Like, do does Amber Heard have a virtual mailbox that's still coming to California? Is she paying taxes in California? Is she paying taxes in the country where she's living? Is she on a traveling visa? is she on some kind of a residency visa somewhere so they're going to look at all of that but the courts are going to say you can't just be nowhere you have to be somewhere and then clouds in my coffee asked would a protective order on the testimonies be important uh i think by that the question is would a protective order with regard to the depositions be appropriate if they're deposing attorneys over decisions that were made pursuant to the defense in and leading up to the defense in the defamation case, I think that's absolutely appropriate because the information that's going to be disclosed in those depositions doesn't need to be public, especially while an appeal is pending. So I can understand why they'd be careful about that. And with that, it is time to say thank you and good night. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. I hope you and yours are well. I can't believe it's November. We've already had a time change. What is even happening? So with that, May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. May your toilet paper and peanut butter be plentiful. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I look forward to talking to you in the next one. And keep an eye out. We may just have a bonus episode for you this week. Emily, why are you dropping that hint? Because we're going, because we're going to. Because we're just, we're going to. Surprise! (laughs) Bonus episode. I will see you on Friday.